All right, so hey, everybody, it's Brian again, and uh, another one of our bonus videos. You know, something I love about Harvest, something I love about this church here in Eugene, Oregon, is the persistence, the faithfulness, the, the consistency in loving people into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. The, the commitment that exists here to say it matters that people become Christians, that it matters that we love flawed people where they are and show them that Jesus loves them as they are where they are, but to also show them that Jesus loves them enough to come into their life, to work in their life, and to change their life. And so we're a bunch of real people, just authentic, honest, broken, sinful people who've become followers of this man, this God-man named Jesus Christ. And so people often ask, how do I become a Christian? And anytime we run through the Discovering Harvest class or lunch or whatever format we do it in, we always want to talk about what it means to be a Christian and how a person can become a Christian. We do that because, frankly, it's the most important decision that any individual will ever make in their lifetime. I mean, I know I've made a lot of poor decisions in my life. I've made a few great decisions in my life. Probably one of my greatest decisions was marrying my wife, Marcy, or asking her to marry me, really. But I know this. The single biggest decision of my life was the decision to say to Jesus, come help, I need you. Please forgive me. And it's a decision we hope that you have made, or to be honest, will make, even right now. So what is a Christian? And how do I become a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, this information is found in the Discovering Harvest booklet. I think it's on pages 4 and 5, or at least it is in my booklet. But here's how we would say it. You know, God has always existed. And He's always existed in a way that would blow your mind if you could truly comprehend it. But the reality is we can't really truly wrap our hands around what it means for God to be God. But He's always been Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when you read the Scriptures, it's very clear that God is a triune God, right? Trinity, triunity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what does that have to do with any of us? Well, that God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the creator of the universe, and frankly, the creator of our lives. But most of us spend at least a portion of our lives trying to live as though that creator weren't real, or didn't exist, or as though we didn't even need him. And so a Christian is a person who has come to the place of saying, you know what? I can't do it on my own. 
Or you know what? I am broken and messed up. Or you know what? I know I need help. A Christian is a person who would say, I need the God of the Bible in my life. And what we begin to learn is that God made us on purpose. And we're always chasing sort of some kind of purpose in life, some kind of meaning in life, some kind of, you know, we chase after pleasure and possessions. We chase after prestige and power. And the reality is none of it really fulfills us because we have a, a God-sized hole inside of us that none of those things can fill. But God can. Jesus can. And so God made me to love me. And God made me to live in a relationship with him. And God made me so that I could have purpose and his power and security and freedom and fulfillment and all kinds of things the Bible tells us about. And you say, how do you know this? Go back to the book of Genesis when he created Adam and Eve. It's all there. But a problem entered into the equation there in Genesis 3. And that problem, biblically, we call sin. You say, well, what is sin? The word sin, biblically, just means to fall short. The analogy I like to use is, is when you throw a dart at a target. And often I will throw a dart at like a dartboard and I'll hit off a little bit. Rarely would I hit, you know, the bullseye. But the idea of sin is not that I hit off center a little bit. The idea of sin is that I fell completely short and didn't even come to the target. And so my sin represents all of the things I do that fall short of what God intended. Sometimes my sins are the don'ts, you know, like the don't lie and the don't lust and the don't be greedy. And, the, and sometimes my sins are just me trying to trust in me, right? Me being prideful or me trying to say, I don't need God or me trying to do life on my own, essentially to be the one in charge of my life. If you really think deeply about it, my sin nature is so deep that what I really want to be and what all of us really want to be is a God, little g, God. To be like God, to be weighted on hand and foot, to be comfortable all the time, for life to go exactly as we want, and for other people to do what we want when we want it. And that problem in our life is a permanent problem, and the Bible calls this sin. And so we do a lot of things to try to fix that, right? We think to ourselves, well, you know, maybe I need God, or maybe I just need some religion. And I hope you understand, religion and Jesus, religion and grace are two totally separate things. Religion is me saying, well, you know what, my grandparents were Christians, or my parents were Christians, so I must be. Religion is when we say, well, I'm just going to work a little harder and try to earn it a little more. Religion is when I say, if I go to church enough, maybe then God will forgive me. And yet the Bible says this, Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God Really, the grace of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, I have a problem, and the problem is sin. And I often like to say that if you were to take all of my sins 
and you were to put them in writing, you'd have a booklet that would look like tax code, you know? I mean, it'd be so thick. So much bigger than this. But if this booklet could represent all of my sins, then religion is my attempt to kind of, you know, turn over my life, turn my life around, turn over a new leaf, right? It's my attempt to do some things to make God love me. But the teaching of the Bible is that God sent Jesus and that all of my sins were placed on Jesus on that cross. And that idea, that concept, that's not religion. That's grace. But what that does is that leaves me without the sin in my life, at least positionally as God sees me, able to have a real relationship with the God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, one God. What a powerful teaching. So what's the solution? The solution is that Jesus has taken care of my sin problem, that he came, that he's God in the flesh, virgin birth, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that my sins were placed on him, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And so what do I do to receive that gift of grace? It's really simple. I like to think of it in terms of A's, B's, and C's. That the ABC of committing my life to Jesus Christ. A, admit. What do I admit? I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm broken. I admit that I have a problem. Frankly, I am the problem. And that I can't do it without God. And so in admitting that, I turn to Jesus Christ. That biblical word for turning is repentance, but it simply means to turn around. And so in my life, in my sin, I'm moving away from Jesus. But when I turn around to face Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you, I am repenting of those sins. And so I admit that God has not been God of my life, and I ask him to forgive me. Which leads me to the B. To the B, I believe. That I believe that Jesus Christ was real. That I believe that God is real. That I put my faith in Jesus, believing that he was real, that he died, that he died for my sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again to give me eternal life. Right? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that Whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe. And so I admit that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again in Easter and is alive today. And since he's alive today, I see, I commit. I commit my life to Jesus. I receive that gift of salvation, and I ask him to be the Lord, which is to say that he is the boss or the one in charge of my life. That I commit my life to him, that I surrender my life to him. 
Now, does that mean that in that moment I am perfect on my own? No, not at all. But it does mean that as God sees me, he sees Jesus in my life. And so from that moment forward, I am forgiven. And that's what it means to become a Christian. That I have the righteousness of Christ in me. That as I have given my life to Christ, that He took the penalty for all of my sins. And He opened the way for me to have an eternal relationship with God, one that begins here, but continues on into eternity in what we would come to understand as heaven. That I admit that I am a sinner, that I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and that I commit my life to Jesus Christ. A, B, C. So my question for you is, would you like to do that today? Because we can pray that right here, right now. And I pray something along those lines every single Sunday as we end our messages at Harvest. And I love that we do that. Would you like to do that now? We pray just like this. Dear Jesus, Thank you for making me and loving me, even when I've ignored you and I've tried to go my own way. And I realize that I need you. And so I turn to you and I say I'm sorry for my sins and I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe in you. I believe that you died, that you were buried, that you took my sins far away, and that you are alive, that you rose from the grave. So Jesus, please come into my life and take over and make me a new person on the inside and out. And please now help me to grow in my faith in you. In Jesus' name. And so if you've prayed that prayer with me, man, would I love to hear that. You can always fill out one of our digital communication cards and let me know. Check the box, I became a Christian for the first time. You can always email me. I'm brian at harvestchurcheugene.com. B-R-I-A-N at harvestchurcheugene.com. And of course, that now means that I am a disciple And a disciple means a student, or a follower, or a learner, an apprentice of Jesus. One who wants to become like Jesus. That's what we want to help you do as we help you connect with Harvest Community Church. Friends, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's how you become a Christian. We love you. So hey everybody, it's Brian, another one of our bonus videos. Today I want to talk to you about what baptism really is and why anybody should be baptized. Now in another one of our bonus videos, we talk to you about what it means to be a Christian and how to become a Christian. And I want you to notice something significant. I want you to notice that we didn't say you have to be baptized 
to be a Christian. And that's because the Bible doesn't teach that. Now, I know that there are a lot of faith traditions that rely on that concept, that baptism is a part of how you are saved. But we believe with all our hearts that the Bible teaches that it is Jesus' blood and Jesus' grace and Jesus' love that saves us. That rather, baptism is something we do after we have given our lives to Jesus Christ. Now here at Harvest, we baptize by immersion. We don't sprinkle. And the reason we don't, well, it's several fold. People ask, why should I be baptized? And when should I be baptized? And what is baptism? Well, let me just give you some answers to that. And if you're following along with our Discovering Harvest materials, this would be pages uh, 7 and 8, I believe, in the booklet, or at least they are in mine. So why should anybody be baptized? Well, a Christian, a person who has given their life to Jesus Christ should be baptized for several reasons. To follow the example set by Christ. We should be baptized because Christ commands it. Remember when Jesus said to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we should be baptized because it demonstrates, it shows, it publicly professes to the world that I really am a believer. So what is baptism? And what is the meaning of baptism? Well, baptism is a symbolic outward expression of a significant inward commitment. That's a mouthful. I'm going to say it again. Baptism is a symbolic outward expression of a significant inward commitment. It's symbolic in that it illustrates Christ's death and burial and resurrection. In fact, this is the reason we baptize by immersion, if you think about it. The word baptize itself means to dip under or to immerse in. And so that's one of the reasons we do. But when we are immersed in water, and you think about if you've seen baptisms, of a person going down under the water and being fully immersed in something, and then coming back up out of the water, what you get is a picture of Christ and His death and His burial and His resurrection back to life. And so for centuries, for millennia, Christians have been baptized to publicly express that they have identified their lives with this man, this God-man named Jesus, that they have identified their lives with his death and burial and resurrection. When I am baptized, it gives a beautiful picture because I come down into the baptismal waters with my old life behind me. And I come out of the baptismal waters with my new life ahead of me. And so baptism doesn't make you a believer in Jesus Christ. Baptism does symbolically represent the cleansing of our sins, but it is not what cleanses us. It is Jesus that cleanses our sins. I think of it somewhat like this ring I wear, like my wedding ring. You know, I wear it all the time. But I would ask you, is this wedding ring my marriage? No. Not at all. But is it important? Absolutely. Is it precious? Yes. Does it matter to me? Oh, all the time. Why do I wear it? I wear it publicly and I wear it honorably to remind myself and everyone else that I am married 
that my wife matters to me. And so baptism, similarly, becomes this outward symbolic expression of something significant that has happened on the inside. That change of life, that transformation that happens when Jesus becomes my Savior and my forgiver and my Lord, the boss of my life. Why do we baptize by immersion? Well, we baptize because it gives us that picture. We baptize because Jesus was baptized that way. It's clear that when he was baptized, it says in Matthew that he came up or went up out of the water. Every baptism, every baptism you read about in the Bible was by immersion. And it gives us that beautiful picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we immerse to show that we have identified our life with Jesus Christ. And it is the way in which we publicly demonstrate that we have done that. Now here at Harvest, we sometimes do baptisms in a, in a, a portable baptistry that we set up here in the church. It looks a lot like a hot tub, so we affectionately call it the holy hot tub. We sometimes do baptisms because we're blessed to live in a city with rivers. In the summertime, at least, we'll go down to the river and uh, celebrate baptism there. And it's usually a beautiful fun, energetic, amazing celebration. You might ask, who should be baptized? Well, we think every person who has believed in Jesus Christ should be. But we would also tell you that that believing in Jesus Christ needs to be the individual's decision. And we would likewise tell you that they need to understand it, at least at a basic level, enough for it to be their call and their commitment. People often ask, what do we do about kids and baptism? And so I'm going to tell you, we baptize kids when they make their own commitment to Jesus Christ. When they're old enough to understand that Jesus died for them, that He forgives them, that He rose from the grave. When they can understand that and they commit their life to Jesus, then we baptize kids when it's their decision. Now, I know as kids, they don't always understand all the theology. And frankly, very few of us always understand all of the theology. But what I do know is that it's important that when kids make the decision, that they be able to look back in their life at their decision to publicly follow Jesus when they told the world and their family that they love Jesus. So what do we do with kids, with the kids that are infants? What do we do with babies? Because some faith traditions baptize babies. Well, we don't do that. What we do is parent-baby dedication. And so parents dedicate the baby and dedicate themselves to the Lord. And in doing so, they are dedicating themselves to raise the baby in an environment that would point them to Jesus Christ. They are likewise dedicating that child to God, to Jesus. And, frankly, every time we do an infant dedication, we as a church recommit ourselves to being a church that would create an environment where kids are not only welcomed, but they are loved, and where kids can come to find that Jesus loves them too. When should I be baptized? I think you should be baptized as soon as is realistically possible. And so during COVID, we've had to take some extra measures and some extra caution. But we are absolutely working on ways you can be baptized soon. And we would love for you to be a part of it. If you've recently given your life to Jesus Christ and you would like to be baptized, 
please, please let me know. You can tell me on our digital communication card, or again, we say this all the time, you can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com, and I would love to talk with you about baptism. All right, so hey everybody, it's, uh, it's Brian, and this is one of our bonus videos. One of the things we always do at our Harvest uh, membership class that we call Discovering Harvest um, is we ask people to tell us a little bit of their story, and um, doing this online is obviously a little bit different, but I always share a bit of my story, and uh, honestly, I share way more than I would ever ask you to share with others. So I always ask these three questions when we come together for these Discovering Harvest uh, classes or lunches. I always ask uh, three questions. One, who are you? What's your name? Just introduce yourself. Two, how did you hear about Harvest or how did you get connected with us for the first time? And three, I always ask, what's something you love about Harvest? So I want to tell you a little bit of my spiritual story today. And I want to answer those questions as well. Most of you know my name is Brian King. I am uh, I'm a Christian. And that is a completely different and separate thing from I am a pastor of a church. Because I could be a Christian absolutely without being a pastor. I'm not sure I could be a pastor without being a Christian. Whole separate issue, right? So my spiritual story probably begins with my grandparents. My grandfather was a pastor, a minister in a Methodist church. He was retired by the time I was born or very near after when I was born, and I was baptized in the Methodist church. But I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know any of that when I was a young child. I wasn't really raised going to church. I went to church sometimes with my grandma. I loved going to church. You know, it was... Uh, fun to do. There were other people around uh, when I was a little kid, right? There were other kids. There were snacks. Don't ask me why, but I very much remember the vanilla wafers at church. Always good. And then I remember starting to go to uh, what at the time I thought of as kind of like big people or big church for her, right? I went to a worship service and uh, one of the things in that tradition that they always did um, is, in most services at least, they would have uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. And I always liked that part of the service because by that point in the service, I was hungry. And so as a child, it was a chance to have a little snack. They would, they would walk you down, and there was an altar at the front, and you would kneel, and you would tear off a piece of bread and then have a little cup of juice, and it was never quite enough bread and never quite enough juice for the snack. And I didn't understand any of it, but I liked it. So a lot of years went by, and I grew up, um, again, really not going to church much along the way. But then again, being a Christian is not really about going to church. It's about something entirely different. When I was 15, I had a friend uh, from high school who I knew went to church, and several of my friends actually went to his church. And he invited me to go to a youth group activity. And I was in that place where I was like, no, nah, I don't go to church. And he was like, no, really, you should come. And uh, 
I'm like, I don't go to church. And he's like, it's not church. It's just people getting together for fun. We're doing this youth group. I think it was a scavenger hunt or something. And I went and I had a blast. But I'm going to be honest again. There was a girl there I thought was cute. And he asked me if I would go to church, wanted to come to church on Sunday. And I said, nah, I don't go to church. And he's like, um, no, seriously, you should come. It'd be fun. Like all these people are there. And I said, well, is she there? And he said, yes. And uh, he picked me up, brought me to church on Sunday. Three weeks of that, going to church, doing a couple of youth group kinds of things, I heard the gospel in a way that made sense for the very first time. That Jesus Christ was real. That he was God in the flesh. That he entered into our world, lived a perfect, sinless life. That he died on the cross and that that death had meaning. That he died for my sins. That I was a broken human being, a sinful human being, and that I needed God in my life. Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. And he's alive today, and he wanted to live in me. And when I heard all of that, I thought it was incredible news. And I thought to myself, well, of course I want to go to heaven, and of course I need God, and of course I've lied, and I've done a bunch of things wrong, and I'm a messed up, sinful, broken human being. And so, yeah, Jesus... I'll take him. And so that day, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I asked Jesus to take over my life. And I asked Jesus to be my forgiver, my savior, and my Lord, the boss, the one that was in charge of me. All of that was long before I had any clue about ever working in a church. And so I gave my life to Jesus, and I was baptized again in that church. And I was baptized in the way we baptize here at Harvest. I was put under water and brought up out of water. I was immersed, as we would talk about it. And the reason we baptize that way still today is because every baptism in the Bible was that way. The word baptize itself means to dip under or to immerse, to put into something, and to put completely into it, right, to immerse under water in this case. And baptism gives us this great reflection of what Jesus has done for us. It is that outward, symbolic, yet significant symbol of that inward life change that Jesus has brought. It's where we publicly identify with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I was baptized in that church, and I began to go to church, and I began to go to youth group, and I was by no means a perfect human being, but somewhere along the way, while I was still in high school, I felt the Lord nudge at my heart, and for whatever reason, I felt like I had to figure out all I wanted to do with my life. And so, I spent a lot of time asking God, and praying, and thinking, and I thought I'd be a computer programmer, I thought, I, I was pretty good at math, pretty good at science, some of that kind of stuff, I thought, you know what, I will probably do something like that with my life. And I'm praying one day, and I'm asking God, and we were in a Bible conference or something at church. I remember going one day and just saying, God, what do you want me to do? And I'd been hearing this whisper for a while that was like, preach, follow me. I had no idea what spiritual gifts really were at that point. I just heard a call, and I said, 
Okay, God, you want me to preach? I don't even know how to talk to the girl I thought was cute, right? I don't know how to talk to other people. I get nervous to talk in front of other people. But if you want me to do it, I'll do it. I surrendered my life to preach the gospel. I later discovered that one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of teaching. Just a bit like preaching. Um, but I think there may be a technical distinction there, but I, I would say I have the gift of teaching, gift of preaching. all depends on how you want to look at it and interpret it biblically. For me, that became a significant turning point. I moved out of high school, right, graduated high school, went to college to begin to pursue a degree that would equip me uh, for preaching, for teaching, for pastoring, for doing all of that. I went to college, and uh, not, not long after going there, I, I met a beautiful young lady named Marcy. And we began dating, and unbeknownst to either of us, halfway through college, we'd get married. And we did, and still are, and still believe with all my heart. I am thankful she is my bride. I'm thankful she is my girl. I'm thankful she is my girlfriend. I'm thankful that she is in my life. And so Marcy and I got married while we were in college, and about that same time, really just before that, I began pastoring a small church out in the country, outside of the town where we went to college. And I pastored that church for almost two years. Now, they didn't want to give me a title, and, and they paid me next to nothing. Which just reminds you, if you're doing ministry for money, you, you, yeah, wow, no, you can't do ministry for money. But nonetheless, I pastored this church for a couple of years while we were in college, and I finished my degree, Marcy finished her degree, and we graduated, and we moved for me to go to seminary. I went to seminary. Uh, if you're curious, I graduated uh, college from Oklahoma Baptist University. I went to seminary starting in Denver at Denver Seminary. I finished with what was at the time Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, um, these days called Gateway Seminary. Um, but I graduated from uh, Golden Gate um, after transferring back in the day. And while I was in seminary, I was a student pastor, a youth pastor, did that for a few years. Um, I preached in various churches. After seminary, uh, Marcy and I uh, planted a church in Colorado. Um, in fact, in uh, just east of Colorado Springs in Falcon, Colorado. We planted um, a church that was Creekside, Creekside Community Church. Um, it's much like Harvest. Um, we did everything we could to reach people. We did everything we could to teach people the Bible. And we did everything we could um, to teach people to love God with all they've got. And so I was in that church plant for a number of years. We had kids during that season. Such a beautiful time in our life. We're growing. Our family was growing. Church was going relatively well. Um, we merged with our planting church and became a campus of theirs. And I became a um, co-preacher of short sorts in that church. Um, I was their small groups pastor. Um, I did business administration for them. I wore a lot of different hats doing different things. Um, and I co-taught with their pastor at the time. And uh, mid-2000s, late 2000s, somewhere in there, uh, you remember 2008 with the financial crisis. That church went through some difficulty, a senior pastor transition, and a few other things that just made things challenging, and I was laid off. And during that season, we'd been praying about where God may have me. And it was about that time that Marcy and I said, you know what, we'll go anywhere, even outside of Colorado, we'll go anywhere in the U.S., wherever God would show us He wants us. And I made contact 
with Harvest Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. And I met Craig Lawrence, Becky Hoagland, and some others for the first time. And in time, Harvest invited me to be their church. And that was over 12 years ago that I came to be the lead pastor here at Harvest Community Church. And so our girls have grown up here. They were four and seven when we moved to Eugene. Such an amazing time of just following Jesus. I don't tell you all this because I expect you to tell me all of this in your story. But I tell you because sometimes people like to know their pastor, right? I'm a real guy like you. I'm not a perfect guy. I make mistakes all the time. I try to lead with humility. I try to love my family well. I like football. I like skiing. I like hiking. I like anything that gets me outdoors in nature. We love to go to the beach. I love to go to the mountains. I like snow even. And we've come to love Eugene, Oregon, which is now our home. And we love the people of Harvest Community Church. Transitions are always tough on a church. It always takes time to build those relationships in a church. But in time, Harvest quickly really became our home. And we've made so many friends. And we're so blessed to be a part of the faith community here. To be challenged to grow in our own faith in Jesus Christ and love for Jesus Christ. To be challenged to grow in relationships with so many of you and so many leaders here who encourage us and who love us back. And to be encouraged to love this community and love this nation and love this region and love this world. To go on mission trips that serve. To take time to reach out and show love to our neighbors. We count it a great privilege to be here and be one of your pastors. That's my story.